Hey, Paul, what's up? Ah, not much. What's going on? I'm, I'm just a little confused lately. I Yeah, what else is new? Well, you know, m- more than usual. I tried to go to get the shows that we just put up, and I was having problems finding them. Well, we have having trouble finding them. Well, I couldn't find Back to the Bins. I couldn't find Avengers Spotlight. Of course, you can only find those when I actually edit them. <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> oh, you took but, the words you know, right out of my mouth. They're on the feed, Bill. Yeah, I know. That's where I went. I went to the feed, but they weren't there. You no, know, you got to go to the feed. You got to go to the Back to the Bins feed. The Back to the Bins feed? What's yeah, that? Back to the Bins feed. You got to go to iTunes. You look for, look up Back to the Bins, and you subscribe to the Back to the Bins feed. But I went to Two True Freaks. Yeah, we're on that feed, too. What? Where? On the feed. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying that we're on... All right, so if I wanted to go find the shows that we've done, I'm going to go on to iTunes, and I'm going to click on Back to the Bins, and I'll find Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight in the feed. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about! Bill, you go to the feed, you subscribe to the show, you subscribe to whichever show you want, and then you get it. It's that simple. You just got to go to the feed. What show do I want? Back to the Bins. Where? An Avengers Spotlight. Oh, I'm so confused. They're on iTunes. They're on TwoTrueFreaks.com. You want them? Uh, you get them. They're you all got them? All oh. the shows are there. They're still all available, Bill. All right, on the so... Feed. The feed. If you say feed one more time, I'm going to break your arm. Uh, Scott, could you tell him... Hey, man, don't, don't drag me into this, because... <laughs> It's no skin off my ass. I'm on all the feeds. <laughs> Bastard. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. A long time ago, in a galaxy far Far away, a great adventure took place. Oh no! What will we do now? R2D2, you found a cigarette! Well, I don't think smoking is grown up at all. Don't be so ridiculous, R2. Underoos are for Earthlings. (coughs) All you need is a little rewiring, but children need to be fully immunized. I'm Jawa. Want my droid? Sure, what you got? Wampa, wampa, wampa! We picked up something. It's the Millennium Falcon. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Two True Freaks presents Growing Up Star Wars. Action figures sold separately. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. And whether this is your first episode or you've been listening for weeks, months, or even years, we thank you for your download and hope you enjoy the show. This is the inaugural episode of Growing Up Star Wars. My name is Scott Gardner and I am joined by my best friend, Chris Honeywell. Hello! Hey! 
Chris and I have known each other since 1977, where in the fourth grade, we bonded over our mutual love of the new hit movie, Star Wars. And we are very happy to have with us the ringleader of the ever-excellent Dinner for Geeks podcast and the Grand Inquisitor behind the brand spanking new podcast entitled My Star Wars Story, which he describes as the Shoah Project for Star Wars. Please welcome to the show, Scott Rifen. Hi, kids. <laughs> How's it going, man? I, I cannot tell you how cool it is. To actually be able to talk back to you guys while we're doing a Star Wars. Uh oh. I, I don't know. Have to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe we need to rethink this whole yeah. thing. <laughs> I just every every Star Wars monthly Monday I go. Yep, yeah, but yeah, but wait, but no, it's, it, it, and then it's over. So there you go. Well, that, now's your now's your chance to point out all, all right. where the all the errors and <laughs> all the disagreeing. <laughs> divergent wow. opinions and wow my reputation has gone far and why <laughs> no we are I, we are really excited to have you here man seriously so welcome to the show for a, here's the thing for a long time i've wanted to do a star wars podcast and i've wanted to do a podcast with you two guys now i get the best of all worlds you, you want it you want me to really cross the streams and mess it all up here now What's we that? have the Dr. McCoy to the Kirk and Spock of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a whole bunch of iPods just turning off right there. <laughs> nah, crossing the streams is what we do. It's what we've done pretty much from the get-go. And, uh, you know, Scott, you mentioned uh, Star Wars Monthly Money. This is as good a place as any to, uh, you know, assuming, you know, I always like to go with kind of the Stan Lee philosophy of, you know, any, any comic can be somebody's first comic. Well, any podcast can potentially be somebody's first episode. So um, just mentioning it very briefly, uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday was the Two True Freaks Star Wars show that precedes this show for six years. Uh, Chris and I did Star Wars Monthly Monday. It just wrapped up um, last month. And while we did cover many different Star Wars related subjects on that show, essentially, when you boil it all down to what it was really about is what it was a six year love letter to Marvel Comics Star Wars, the uh, the series that you know ran 107 issues plus uh, annuals and a miniseries. Yep. And we just covered around on the side with Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah. Some Indiana Jones thrown in there. And it was just us covering it issue by issue through the entire series. And that just wrapped up. And when we wrapped that up, we just decided, you know, we still, of course, want to continue to talk about Star Wars because we still love Star Wars. We're still excited about Star Wars, but kind of wanted to bring that show to an end because it was just a natural place to end the show and kind of reinvent Star Wars Monthly Monday as something else. So that brings us to uh, to growing up Star Wars. And exactly what growing up Star Wars is, well, you're going to discover that along with us because I think that title means different things to all three of us. So that we're going to bring that to life over the course of, you know, not only this episode, but, the, you know, the course of the series itself. So uh, like I said at the beginning, I, I hope you enjoy the show. I think this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Anything else you guys wanted to throw out there as, as far, you know, in the way of introductions or introducing yourself or anything like that? No, you talked about me far more than I like to talk about me, so I'm good. <laughs> well, I want to talk about you a little bit more, again, just uh -huh. to mention ah! one more time the, uh, the My Star Wars story because uh, I really, you know, I really enjoyed the first episode you put out there with, uh, with one of your co-hosts from Dinner for Geeks, Ryan. Uh, great show. 
Uh, and then if I'm not mistaken, it's your second episode that I'm going to be on. And then beyond that, I don't know who you're going to have on the show. So I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, I know you I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know you and I and Chris had talked uh, about that show possibly coming to the True True Freaks feed. So one way or the other, I, I'm hoping that people will go and seek it out and uh, and, you know, subscribe to that show because I, I really I love the concept. I love the first episode. I, I enjoyed the recording that you and I did for the episode. I'll be on. I, I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I do, too. And, and look, I'll. I'll... I will gladly put it on two true freaks feed. I just, you know, I, I need a space for it and that's about it. Right. Um, I, I want everybody who can hear that podcast to hear it. I mean, I feel like I'm in the middle of a, a project that's going to mean something ultimately. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just an idiot, but I really feel like this is going to be, you know, look back on as, as a, a treasure trove of uh, kind of a documentary of our generation. Absolutely. I agree with Absolutely. that. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, I want you on. And if anybody else wants to go on, do you mind a quick plug here? Oh, do it. Do it. Email story at com. Send me contact information and I'll get back with you if you want to tell your Star Wars story. Excellent. And of course, uh, Dinner for Geeks. If you're not listening to Dinner for Geeks, well, you're really only hurting yourself because it's a great show. So listen to Dinner for Geeks. Don't you want to start out that podcast with like Sam Spade saxophone music and like there's a million Star Wars stories in the <laughs> city? <laughs> I'm Scott Rifen. I walk these dirty streets gathering Star Wars stories. I've been trying to figure out how you could start a podcast that every episode starts with it was a dark and stormy night. I really want to figure that out because I think that'd be fun. Anyway, that joke went over like a lead balloon, so let's just move along. So the first segment, we're, we're kind of doing segments in this uh, until we really nailed on our format, but I, I think we got a pretty good inaugural format going for this one here, so yes. we'll see how this goes. Uh, Chris came up with the name for this segment, and I really loved it. It's uh, This is called Star Wars Show and Tell. So it's just like being back in, uh, in, in elementary school again, where we all... The three of us are, are bringing something to show and tell, but it has to be Star Wars related. So who wants to... Chris, why don't you take the lead on this? This was kind of your baby, so well, you, you take the lead. I'm curious what you brought. I like your intro because my show and tell goes right back to 1977. And this was bought, you know, this was fresh when the movie was out and I was a spazzy little kid who, you know, was begging for anything Star Wars like and this one is actually for 77 it was kind of an expensive book for the size of it it was 695 it's the star wars iron-on transfer book. oh god yes. 16 yes. fantastic designs you can transfer to any fabric oh, the most fabulous space fantasy ever made you keep talking i'm gonna dig my copy off the shelf you got a copy of that too i think so it's it's got a great cover with uh, with Chewbacca, Darth Vader, a very short Darth Vader, a uh, stormtrooper, R2 and 3PO, and they're all wearing T-shirts. R2 sort of got his T-shirt hanging out of his front flap, and uh, <laughs> 3PO actually has his T-shirt tucked into his chest section. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then the back says, "Decorate your room, your clothes, your school books, anything made of cloth, with these exciting designs from the world's most popular <laughs> movie." <Yeah. laughs> 
your body parts. It's easy to do and lasting fun when you transfer these Star Wars souvenirs to t-shirts, jackets, bedspreads, curtains, wherever you want to recall the thrills and chills of your favorite movie. Here again is the menacing Darth Vader, the bold Luke Skywalker. It sounds like a steak sauce. The beautiful Princess Leia, Organa, Chewbacca, spicy, and many more in great scenes from Star Wars. Hickory smoked Ben Kenobi. Now here's the great thing about it. <laughs> no, that's Aunt Brew and Uncle Owen. <laughs> it's like anything made of cloth. Then you look in the inside, and basically for best results, apply to... And this is, of course, why it was 1977. For best results, apply to materials made of 100% polyester, or at least 65% polyester blend, or 100% nylon. Cotton is not guaranteed to hold colors when washed. That's right. I... I only used one iron-on in this, and it was Chewbacca. And and the only the reason only one got got used is because I had one of my major little, little kid flip-outs. Maybe you guys remember having a flip-out like this of of some sort. So I had the T-shirt picked out. So my mom pulled out the Chewbacca T-shirt transfer. At that point, I'm starting to freak out a little bit. Some part of the latent part of my geek brain is going, dee, 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 dee. you don't want to tear a page out of that book. Right. And, <laughs> and then she's following the instructions and she's, she's ironing it onto the t-shirt. And when it was all done, it just like basically put a blob of color on the t-shirt. <laughs> and I was just like, no, it's ruined. And I did not want to attempt I did not want to tear out <laughs> and turn the other ones into blobs. No. Now they're sort of on the back of each page. You can see. Right. You can see right. it. Yeah. I believe you've got it. And if you yep. look on the back cover and the front, mine's actually got colors coming through the front cover yeah. a little bit. There's some pinks yeah, and blues. Too. I'm sure yeah. it's just sort of a uh, over. I mean, it's 1977 that this <laughs> that this has been sitting around. Now this one, this one is the one that has the Darth Vader lives, right? Oh, you're right. I didn't. I'd never even <laughs> caught it? that before. Yeah. I was. I've yes. been flipping. Look through. at Vader's T-shirt on the cover. It says Darth Vader. Yes, I, Vader. I yes. have. I have that as a pin. I have the pin version of that. But that isn't one of the transfers in here. Oh my oh, god! Really? Almost forty no. years I've owned this damn book and never even realized because that it's before. Not only on the cover and it's not yeah. one of the. The Darth Vader is the classic uh, from the story of Star Wars publicity photo. Right. There, there's just great. It's mm. got the cra- classic Hildebrand, you know. Yep. That was that was the T-shirt right there. Now the Darth the Darth Vader when you said it's the classic from the story is that the one where he's basically sitting in front of he's standing in front of like the Sears photo department backdrop. He's uh, well, yeah. With his lightsaber. lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. This one, yeah. That, okay. the, and he's just sort of yeah standing back. Yeah, sort of leaned back a little bit. It's got the publicity picture of Luke Skywalker too, the real smiley one. I love the C-3PO one. The C-3PO one is in your classic 70s van colors. That's that the. What's part. weird is I'm missing a number of pages out of mine, but that's the only one I can remember my mother ever putting on a T-shirt. The so C-3PO I don't know what one? the hell happened to the no the the R2 one. Oh. Where the things are coming out, yeah, um, like the little arm things. I love that it's got one of the Ralph McQuarrie old, you know, prototype posters. Oh, I don't have that one in my book. Which one is that? It's the one with the sort of a little elongated Darth Vader, and it's got Luke and R2 and 3PO and a really weird shaped head of um, Chewbacca. Yeah, I don't have that one in my book. 
I wonder how much this would be on eBay to get one that's not used, you know, with all the pictures still in it. I don't mine, know. mine has about half of them torn out, and that's what I mean. The, the weird thing is the only one I can ever remember my mother making for me was the R2-D2 one, so I have no idea what happened to the other ones out of this book. I wonder if they still would work if, if, if I took them and, like, ironed them onto a piece of paper, if they would, like, go onto a piece of paper or cloth or something like that. Not that I would want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. After, after 30... What is it, 33, 37 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 37, yeah. Yikes. That was a, that's a good one. <laughs> so 16 original designs, and I've got, let me see, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six in here, so I'm missing 10 of them. I have no wow. idea what's happened to them. Wow. Maybe I actually had them on t-shirts, but I sure don't remember. R2's the only one I remember having on a shirt, so I have no idea. I Maybe I used them as posters or something. I don't know. I remember having the classic blue ringer t-shirt, you know, light blue with dark blue arms and neck ringer with right. with the classic star with the Hildebrandt Star Wars poster, like the iron on the flat plastic mm-hmm. free iron on on it, and that was my most treasured t-shirt of of ever. I still have one somewhere. I'll never get into it again. It's like a medium, but it's a it's a black T-shirt with the the Empire Strikes Back, the nice poster where Han's kissing Leia, all Gone with the Wind style. I've got I've still got a T-shirt of that. Somewhere. I remember that T-shirt. Yeah, I mean it's you talk about distressed. It's yes. distressed, <laughs> but it's still in you know it's still in one piece. Uh, frankly, any T-shirt that Scott Gardner wears is distressed. <laughs> least alarmed yeah at first most of my chairs are distressed but the shirts are (laughs) what'd you bring scott what did i bring i i'm gonna i'm not gonna go to my childhood for this even though i know it's completely antithetical to the title of the show but there's a reason for that it's probably 2001 2002 which is a lot of people probably listening to childhood and i came home from work checked the mail and in the mail was a curious white box a small white box I didn't know what it was. It was addressed to me, though. Actually, it was addressed to Scotty Rifen, maybe even little Scotty Rifen, at my uh, address. And I took it in, and I opened it up, and there was a letter inside. And it said, Dear Scotty Rifen, uh, I found one of these lying around. Wasn't sure if you'd ordered it, so I sent it to you. Signed, Mr. Kenner. And I pulled out a prototype Boba Fett figure with the firing rocket pack. Oh. Three and three-quarter scale. Now... It's not a real prototype, but my buddy Ryan, who's on the first episode of uh, my Star Wars story and who frequently makes figures for Steve Sansweet, uh, got a hold of a prototype, made a cast of it, and produced a few replicas of the original Boba Fett prototype with a rocket-firing jetpack, and even went to the trouble of building the jetpack mechanism. So this thing is a dead-on copy and replica of that original rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype. That's cool. That's pretty cool, yeah. That is really cool. You could put it next to the real prototype and not be able to tell which one was which. So that's one of my, my little treasured you know, stories. When, when you put things on the shelf so that people go, what's that? It's sitting right front and center. <laughs> he also, hope- by the way, is sitting right next to the three and three quarter action figure scale chilled monkey brains he sculpted. <laughs> I hope my parents don't listen to this episode because... Uh- I gotta be honest, even beyond my parents' divorce, I think the biggest crushing disappointment of my entire childhood was finally, after what seemed like an eternity times three, waiting for my Boba Fett 
figure to come in the mail after I sent in my proofs of purchase. Getting that thing, tearing it open, and pulling out Boba Fett, and the damn rocket was glued into the backpack. I was. Yep. I remember going immediately to one of the card backs that I had kept and rereading the thing. Like, wait, isn't this supposed to like? And I'm looking at. It, I'm like. And I, I was like Ralphie from Christmas Story, where I'm like, son of a bitch, you know? I just felt so robbed. Like, yeah, I loved the figure, and it was cool, and I was you know, a huge Boba Fett fan and all, but waited forever for this thing to come, and then, you know, they had switched it for this one that didn't fire. And not understanding, even though they had included a little thing in there that basically said, Sorry, it's not going to fire. You know, we decided to switch it to the non-firing for like, I, I I forget how they worded it. It was basically like for, for child safety reasons and just being so crushed, like, ah, oh, really? And, and trying to think, you know, should I, should I take like, because my dad did model car, you know, he built model cars. So we had exacto knives all over the house, you know, and I was thinking about like taking an exacto knife and carefully working it out of there, you know, so I could, I could have it come out and. Would it work if I got it out of there and I just put my own spring in there and, you know, and deciding ultimately, well, no, I better not do that. But, man, I was tempted. You I know? wonder if that is possible. I wonder if they just, like, glued it or if they screwed it. No, it was glued. You, you could see it. You could actually see where it was, like, just glued in place. Because so, I remember for a time, you know, after the, the kind of the newness of the figure wore, you know, wore off and everything, I remember working it from time to time, you know, where I would just, like, <laughs> hold the figure and, and hold the rocket and just kind of work it like, could I work it loose? You know, like, could I, could I get the, the glue to finally Let's give and let take, thing go? nobody takes this out of context. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, now, Scott, you never really cared much for Battlestar Galactica. Is that right? That's true. And we had that conversation. See, so when, when I saw the Boba Fett solicitation, I, I immediately thought of the Battlestar Galactica because I had those toys that did shoot the little red missiles. Right. And so I thought, well, this it's going to be one of those. That's going to be great. And obviously, those Battlestar Galactica toys were basically the reason why they had to change up the Boba Fett. Ah. Some kid got, I guess, uh, sucked one down or something, and uh, that was all she wrote. <sighs> Stupid Darwin kids, yeah. anyway. Yeah, they reconfigured the Mattel ones, the Battlestar Galactica toys, so that the missiles would kind of pop out and just dangle there. Why couldn't they, they would choke down a? Why couldn't they choke down a Barbie or something? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, a Holly Hobby or something, exactly. yeah. Puzzle well, you think, short shape, shortcake, something I wouldn't miss, you know. Yeah, you think some of them would choke down on a Ken, but that's you know. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong, so very uh, wrong. But no, it's one of it's it's one of the things that I I just uh, I love in my collection, and it reminds me of new, and it reminds me of classic. Yeah, all at once. Well, on that subject, reminding me of new and reminding me of classic, I didn't know how we were going to do our little bridge between Star Wars Monthly Monday and this new episode of Growing Up Star Wars. So I came up with something that I thought would be a, would be a nice little bridge between the two shows. So my object is not new, at all, or excuse me, is not old, but rather it's not from my childhood, it's not vintage. But at the same rate, it is very much from my childhood. Recently, and I wish I had realized before I posted on Facebook that there was a giant scandal going on at the time. I had no idea. But if you uh, want to brave going to Hobby Lobby, they have all these incredible comic book related things now that you can buy at Hobby Lobby. These great like wooden and metal signs and just all this vintage comic book stuff. And recently they started carrying uh, Star Wars items. 
And the thing that had me the most excited when, when I heard about it, I had to rush right out and I had to get myself one, was they have these tin signs. Uh, I don't know the exact dimensions of this. I'm going to guess that it's probably... Oh, it's right here, actually. It says uh, eight and a half by uh, eight and a half inches by 13 inches. So roughly the size of, uh, of a large comic, I guess. And these are tin signs that are recreations of classic Marvel Star Wars comic book covers. And they had a number one, which was the one I was really tempted to get. They had a bunch of them that were different covers of the single issue adaptations, you know, the chapterized uh, adaptations of The Empire Strikes Back, and maybe one or two others. But the one that I ended up getting, the one that that most called to me and was like, this, this is Star Wars as I remember Star Wars as a kid. The one that really, really spoke to me is uh, the tin sign recreation of uh, Star Wars number 14. This is during the the whole water world story and everything. And it's just a classic cover. You've got giant Sasquatch Chewbacca holding a little tiny blaster in his hand as he roars and his big old chewy guts hanging out. You've got Luke with a lightsaber in one hand, a red lightsaber in one hand and a, and a blaster in the other. You've got the droids cowering in the background. You've got uh, Chew, or Han Solo rather with kind of a cross between Chewie's crossbow and like an M16. <laughs> and then you've got Leia with a very awkward pose firing her blaster. And then, you know, it's it's like they're surrounded and fighting off their enemies. And it just says on the bottom, it says, The Sound of Armageddon. This is a classic uh, Carmine Infantino and, uh, and Terry Austin cover that I just love it. Mm-hmm. it. It's done in that, you know, that distressed style. So it looks old. It looks like it was pulled out of like an old diner or something, but it's just awesome. I really love it. Now, um, did, did they recreate the that back? Anytime they reprint that issue, they never recreate that pattern in the background. Yeah, they didn't. Unfortunately, they well, it, nobody it's ever does. Like a, yeah, it's like a baby blue uh, sky instead of the the clouds. What would you call that? Like, it's not like a starburst. It's more like a. It reminds me of those um, hypnotism wheels. Yeah, yeah. Around hypno wheel yeah. style, it was like. But it was like a printing process too, where it wasn't really lines. It was like two different colors. Yeah. That were very clashy, like a yellow and a bright like pink, wasn't it? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure what you call that, but I, I love that effect. But no, they don't they unfortunately don't recreate that. The only the other thing that they don't do, I imagine from here on out you'll probably see this back again, but <laughs> while the comic book rights were over at Dark Horse, then they weren't printing Marvel Comics on these things. So this one has no references to being Marvel Comics, even though it clearly was, you know, from Marvel Comics back in the day. But everything else is on there, the 35 cent uh, price point. And I just love at the top right above the Star Wars logo, it says, at last, beyond the movie, beyond the galaxy. I just, It's just great. I mean, this so totally takes me back to uh, to my childhood. You know, it's weird. And I just got the, I just found the Dark Horse reprints of all three Marvel Star Wars adaptations of the movies of the first three movies mm-hmm. and uh they're the weirdest comics none of them have a price on them and i noticed the star wars one cut out the first page for some reason really yeah it which one because they they've reprinted them several different times I, what's the right. cover look like the cover looks like i think issue number one of okay that it doesn't have a price, probably because that's the one that was packed in with the two DVD set where they released DVDs, the special yeah. edition oh, and okay. the uh, regular edition. Walmart had copies of the uh, Dark Horse adapt- the Dark Horse reprints of the adaptation, and they were kind of a square-bound reprint yes. of, of the original ones. Yeah, 
I bet that's what that is. It, hmm. And for some reason, they just have a scroll on the first page. Yeah, yeah, that seems right. That seems right. And everything else is exactly the same. I didn't mean to cut you off, Scott. It just... No, no, not at all. I'm just, I'm thrilled that, uh, you know, as as the excitement ramps up and everything for the new trilogy and all that, that it seems, you know, for the first time in a long time, it seems like the nostalgia for the original trilogy is as as you know, it's at its highest point that it's been in quite a long time. And so there's a lot of nostalgia going on. And I just like that. Finally, it seems like Marvel Star Wars is getting something of its due. There certainly is a, a lot of well, uh, well, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but there, there at last there is some merchandise and, and some representation out there. So now you can walk into a store and you can get, you know, a T-shirt or these tin signs or uh, you, Scott, you just got me the, the poster. Um Yes. You, say, you got it at Michael's, I think you said? Yes. Uh, it's it's a poster that is the back cover to one of the Marvel um, special editions. It's, it's the one that's by uh, Dave Cockrum of, yep. uh, you know, Luke and the gang uh, posed around Princess Leia. And I just, I love that. I mean, I never imagined that that would be a poster. And it's just great. I, I love that this stuff is, is finally out there. And I hope that they continue to mine it. You know, last year there was a great... Uh, calendar that you could buy at like Walmart and stuff that was a uh, Star Wars calendar, but all of the pictures that were in it were all Marvel Star Wars comic book covers. Love stuff like that. Well, that's what so. I love about it. It's in Walmart and not in like a specialty comic shop or exactly. something like that where it would yes. cost like $40 or whatever. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also not just the price of it, but the fact that it's, it's where the kids will go. Exactly. Right, right. It's where the kids will want it. It's not where 13 nerds go every Wednesday. Yes. Mm-hmm. No offense to our listening audience. <laughs> to our, the 13 nerds listening to us. Yeah. yeah. They're like, how did I they am... know there were only 13 of us? <laughs> They're monitoring I us. You, I understand. <laughs> well, do we want to transition to the, uh, the next segment here? Yes. All right. We do. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I don't know that we necessarily have... Oh, we do have a... Uh, I was thinking that we didn't have a title for this one, but we do have a title have for a this segment. We have a lofty, hefty title. For we it. do. I'm going to let Scott do take the honors on this one since this oh. was his idea. It was? Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> it yes, is it's now. It's time now. Yes, it's time <laughs> now for another installment of the Journal of the Wills. Is that it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> that was totally it. So with this one, we what do we we agreed to what top three? Yes. So th- for this time around, we're going to each of us discuss our top three. What was it? Favorite moments or biggest impressions from our first viewing, as we recall it, of Star Wars. Yes. So I think we should each premise, preface this with uh, just a little bit about that first viewing, right? Right. Or yes. should we? All right. Who wants to go first? Don't everybody stand up at once. I'll go first. Not it. I went first last time. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. So my first viewing uh, was in 1977. I don't remember exactly when. I imagine it was late summer, more than likely. Um, it was at a little two-screener theater in Watertown, New York. And uh, my biggest impression, my biggest memory of it was actually that we arrived. We actually got into the theater late. I think we were on time for the movie. But because of what it was, you know, that it was Star Wars, it was this huge thing and all that. I, I think we were just unprepared for what it was going to be when we got there. So we actually got into the theater late. And so my biggest 
and most lasting impression from that first viewing was my first look at Star Wars, which was walking into the theater and walking down the aisle, and it was, you know, to find our seats, and it was right at the part where Luke had the two droids in the garage, and he was about to start cleaning R2 just before the hologram pops out. Um, and, and I just, I've never forgotten that because it just made just right out of the gate, boom, huge impression. And I mean, that's not like a quintessential scene of the movie. I mean, there's really not much happening. It's, it's a quiet, you know, before Leia's hologram pops out, it's just kind of a little, uh, quiet little dialogue scene. Yeah. But, but you it, know, you mm-hmm. say that now and, and we had, I had the exact same conversation with Ryan on the, my star Wars story episode where he says, you know, we were playing the Jawas shooting r2 and i don't know why it wasn't that big of a deal in the movie well but but to us everything was that big of a deal in that movie every single thing seeing the hologram when had we seen that holy cow right exactly i mean that captured the imagination as much as anything else in that movie i i think what it was for me was that here was a, a guy that was pretty identifiable yeah he was you know i was nine and he was 19 so he was like my uncle David or something. You know, he, he, he was older than me, but still that identifier. You could identify with him. He was a young guy. He was living at home. And here his two buddies were robots. You know, how cool was that? And he was talking to them just like they were just regular people. And everything was just all beat up and all grungy. And it was obvious that and he lived here. And, before that. You know? Yeah, exactly. They were, bo- you know, very boxy. And here were two you know, very unique styles of robots that we'd never really seen before. And, but honestly, I think the thing that made the biggest impression on me was that it was very obvious that he lived there, but it felt real because it was grungy. It was dirty. It was, it was unkempt. He was very comfortable in the environment. So it didn't feel like, like a movie set or something. It felt like, wow, you're really here in this guy's home in a way that never really occurred to me before in any other movie because usually especially with science fiction movies before star wars everything was gleaming you know it it was futuristic and this was yeah it was obviously futuristic because you had robots but it was very lived in and that really struck me that was a a very big impression on me that it, it felt like a guy's bedroom and I liked that feel for it. You know, it felt like a bedroom slash garage. And I was very familiar with how garages looked right. from you know, my dad yeah. being a mechanic. So it just felt authentic, even though it was something well, and, completely alien. And George Which Lucas guy's... being a gearhead, too, you know, he right, felt yeah. garage felt, too. Yeah. Which guy's bedroom did it look like? <laughs> Are we making nah, taking the bait here. <laughs> No, but you know, the, the other thing too, though, is when you talk about how it looked lived in and how it looked believable because of all that, no offense to the fine folks at DK who produced some wonderful books on the subject, but they didn't have to sit and diagram everything and explain precisely the physics of how every single thing worked in order for you right. to believe it. It just had right. to look right. Right. And exactly. everything there looked right. That was all figured out before by the people in the universe. You, you yeah. don't have to worry about it, you know? Yep. Oh, it worked. Somebody figured it out at some point. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, other moments. 
obviously the uh, the trench run at the end of the movie, which I know is a bit of a cheat because that's that's not a moment. That's a, that's an entire sequence of the film. But I'm trying to think what were the things that both made an impression, but also the things that I just had to keep going back to the theater to see it. Yeah, I'm going to have mean, whole sequences because, yeah, that's what I mean. I just kept going back over and over and over again as, as often as I could possibly get to it to see certain key scenes, because you have to remember, folks, when we grew up and we were watching Star Wars the only way to see it is you had to go see it when it played at the theater because it didn't exist on videotape. There were no DVDs. It wasn't readily available. I mean, and I know that that's probably almost impossible for anybody that grew up, you know, say past the mid 80s. You know, if you were born in 85 and you grew up past that point, you probably don't remember a time before movies being readily available on videotape or before you could just pull it off your shelf in a DVD and slap it in the player. And so, but that's what our world was like. If you wanted to, to to experience Star Wars again, there were limited ways that you could do it. You you could pull out your copy of the Star Wars storybook, or you could pull out the Marvel mm. Comics adaptation, or you could pull out your your Fisher Price you know viewer yeah. reel where where it showed scenes. But you you didn't have the movie in total, and oh. so there were certain scenes that you you had to go see the movie in order to see that scene again, and. The trench run was one of the big ones because anything that was elaborate with the special effects, it just didn't exist anywhere else. There were no good pictures right. of it there or were anything. There a certain number of scenes that were on TV for like reviewers and, and, and stuff like that and for the commercials on TV. But that's all you saw for as right. far as scenes from the movie. There were whole sequences that you would never see a frame of it right. anywhere. See, I was tempted to say, you know, because I know one of the scenes that once I finally saw it, I would go and see over and over again was the scene where the droids escape from the blockade runner. And there's that shot of the two Imperials and one of them's manning the cannon and he's tracking the, the escape pod as if he's going to shoot it. And the other guy tells him, I don't bother. There's no life forms aboard. And I would go to see that scene over and over and over again because it didn't exist anywhere else. There were no yep. pictures of it in the storybook. It wasn't yep. referenced in Marvel Comics, and it wasn't in any of the trading card pictures. But I didn't include that one in this because I missed that scene first viewing because we came into the movie so late. So I'd probably go with the other scene that probably made the biggest, the, the other biggest impression would be the shootout in the Death Star where... You know, they, they try to fake their way into the cell block and then they realize yeah. it's not working. So so Chewie goes nuts and Han and Luke just kill everybody. Yes. That scene from from that point forward until they drop into the trash compactor, that scene made a hell of an impression on me because it was it was kind of an old west shootout with laser guns and it was just wait. awesome. Now wait, wait, that's interesting. Um, did you say they realize it's not working so Chewie goes nuts? Uh, that was always my impression as that a is, kid was that the scene's not really you know, like they're realizing this isn't going to work because I think Luke even says that this isn't going to work. No, Solo says that. He says, oh, that's this right. Yeah, not this is not going to work. Gonna work. Yeah, Why that's right. So Why before? didn't you say I that before? So that's say right. Before. Yeah, that's but right. But as they're as he's doing that, what is he doing? Well, he's trying to reclasp the the binders around. Chewie's no, he's undoing them. He's undoing them. Yeah, yeah. No, he's they, oh, they, 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 they planned that. I thought yeah. he couldn't get him to close. 
No, yeah, but see, that's the cool thing is that we've got all these, you know, when we saw it in our heads and we didn't have the internet telling us every Easter egg everywhere and all that and explaining everything to us, we all had our own impressions of things. Yeah. Right. And my, my take was always that he was un, he was undoing the binders so that when they went in there, Chewie could just bust out of them and go after everybody. See, I had it the exact opposite. I thought that the reason Han was saying this is not going to work is that he couldn't get the binders to go all the way around Chewie's wrists. Hmm. That was always my impression. Now, I, you know, I don't think there's any right or wrong. I think that maybe that scene is is open to interpretation. Well, I, and I will tell you again what I would say to support myself is that when Chewie first goes nuts, Solo is the one who yells, "Look out, he's loose!" Right. Yeah. And if he, you know, if this was an accident, he wouldn't have. He would not care. Look out, he's loose. He was not trying to. He's trying, still trying to pretend like he's on their side. Well, he immediately hands him a blaster rifle too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't hurt. Well, I like that they immediately start like blowing out the security cameras and stuff. And since they're stormtroopers, they're allowed to be so incompetent that the other stormtroopers aren't even starting to suspect <laughs> that it's a setup at this point. They're just like, oh, jeez. You know what's funny? It took me a long time to realize those were cameras. I didn't know why they kept showing those things blowing up. Yep, all the security cameras. Yeah. Yeah, yep, taking the security out. Yep. What do you guys got? Um... I guess I'll go second. My my three moments, and you got to remember, I've actually done research on this because I'm I'm that kind of an idiot. When when Star Wars first started coming back and Dark Horse was publishing, and all these people, you know, they had all the letters columns, and all these people would write letters to the editor, and one of the things they would all say when they'd write, I was there the first day. I was there May 25th, 1977. And I knew that that couldn't statistically be possible. And I knew I was there opening weekend in Brunswick. And I knew it was not in May because I hadn't heard of Star Wars until my brother told me about it while we were on our summer vacation. We always went in July. And it was shortly after our summer vacation in July that Star Wars came to town. And that's when I saw it. So uh, I went and checked it out. I went and got the old Brunswick newspapers and just started going through 1977 summer movie ads. And found July 29th was when Star Wars came to town. So it took us, the thing was released May 25th. It took two months and four days for it to make it to our town. Not The hmm. prints were staying in one place. That's why <laughs> they, yeah. they yeah. weren't making yeah, the rounds like they were supposed to. I, I'm sure we didn't see it till like well into June or July. But that's another one people, again, when you talk about things young kids don't get, not just that they couldn't, not just that they can't go see it whenever they want to or put the DVD in or watch it on Netflix or whatever, but... They didn't have the big 4,500 screen rollouts. Yeah. And they struck a few prints and they made their way around the country. They and if you weren't tour. in a giant market, yeah. They, if you got them later, they would be beat up by the time you got them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember the second time I saw Star Wars, the print broke. Oh. And we, we lost a good chunk of the movie. Um, but uh, so it was after vacation. It was late July. I was begged by the time while I was on vacation, we were, we always would stop at the, you know, the little, Gas stations, little, I say Jiffy stores, that's what they called them here for decades. Uh, the little minute markets, mm -hmm. convenience stores. And we'd go in and look at the book rack all the time. Look at the comic rack, look at the magazines. And my brother found this, that uh, Warren Star Wars magazine and just went, you get dad to get this for you. This is the best, it's going to be the best movie ever. Okay. My brother's six years older than I am, so I did whatever he told me to or else. And so I begged dad to get me that magazine and I spent the rest of the trip just tearing that magazine to shreds, just reading it, reading and reading it. And well, looking at the pictures and reading the captions on the pictures mostly because the pictures were just stunning. I had never seen images like that before. And, uh, 
So when we got back, that's all I was thinking about. When it finally came, mom took me that first Saturday. And we got there because my mom is my mom. We got there incredibly early. We got there right at the beginning of the Death Star battle. And the theater is one of those old school theaters. Actually a single theater that they had taken a couple of years previous and, and built a wall in the middle and made it a twin. And it was one of those that didn't, remember they didn't have doors. You walked in and walked around a wall and got into the theater. And uh, we got there early and the big battle was going on. Mom said, nope, that's not the show. I said, let's go sit down. Nope, that's not the show we paid to see. So I had to sit outside the theater during that entire final battle and hear the whole thing happen and not be able to see a single thing that was going on. Oh, man. <laughs> you just want to talk about going berserk. I mean, I, I was already in my fever pitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was almost at that point. But, you know, I'm already at a fever pitch. And here, now I'm right where I want to be. And I can't go in and see it. So, finally, the music turned triumphant. And my mom decided, all right, well, that's pretty much the end of the movie. We'll go in. And we walk in and we see the medal ceremony. And it's so gorgeous, and it's got, you know, all the people that I've been reading about in my magazine, except for that one guy, Darth Vader. And uh, it's and, and the, the, the big, you know, dog thing is barking at people. And this is, this is so that's, that's my first big one, because that's what I saw. That's the first thing I saw when I walked in the theater was that scene. And so then we sat through the credits. We sat through them cleaning up the theater, and we went to the second screening. And um, I'm not going to use the Star Destroyer moment, because while it was cool, it, it really didn't. As a six-year-old, I wasn't processing, wow, things can't come out of the back of the theater like that. I was just going, oh, cool, spaceship, never ends, great. Um, I don't think I, you know, I don't think I grasped the enormity of it. But let's go a little bit farther ahead to when Darth Vader grabs a guy and lifts him up by the throat. That blew my mind. This guy is a pure badass. And uh, when I'd go home, that was one of the things I would try to draw. I would try to draw things from the movie, as I think we probably all did, even, you know, as terrible as my artistic ability is. Right. And uh, that was, I kept drawing that guy's feet dangling off the floor. Because it just, and when I'd play scenes out, it was always Darth Vader choking the guy and then throwing him. I just thought that, that just, that just, there is almost no better way to show this guy is a ruthless, vicious killer than to have him walk straight into the movie and grab a guy and pick him up by the throat and chuck him after he squashes his neck. <laughs> so that's number two moment for me. And number three moment for me, and George Lucas, please take note, has got to be Solo blowing Greedo away. Because, again, it's one of those things that you just didn't... I mean, you, you saw it being set up, but you didn't think he's just going to blow him away and walk off. And it was such a holy crap moment. And get away with it. And get away, yeah. And nobody's, nobody's stopping him. Just, you know, it's not, stop police. It's everybody just kind of going, I'm not looking. I'll take the money. That's that's cool. And um, it was, I think George Lucas doesn't realize why that moment pisses off so many Star Wars fans. And it is because it is just a first time out. It is just a holy crap moment. It is, it's incredibly cool that he just dispatched this guy before the guy could get him. I don't think there's any question the guy was going to take him out. And he took care of business and then walked out, just walked out after cold-blooded killing this guy. <laughs> and it really helped set the tone. And th that was just another one of those things that just totally blew my mind. So that'd be my three. The medal ceremony, Darth Vader picking up the uh, the rebel by the throat, squash, just crushing his neck and chucking him, and then the Greedo getting just blown away out of nowhere. Well, Scott Rifen, like a good psychiatrist or a UFO researcher, mm -hmm. you brought back memory, a, a memory that I'd forgotten because I peeked in before... <laughs> 
Because <laughs> our our theater, I saw it at the same theater as Scott, but different showing. You know, I just there was no way my parents were not taking me to that movie uh, because mm-hmm. um, we had this this young guy named Randy Harper, and he was a a construction guy who worked with my dad to help build our house, which was be- our solar house was being built at the time. And he was like 20 years old. He looked like Luke Skywalker. He was the same age. And he had been out to California for some reason and seen Star Wars, he and his wife. And he came back and he's like, you're a science fiction fan? You like Star Trek? You're going to love this movie. And he was describing it to me. And, you know, my jaw was hitting the floor. And then, like, within days of that, Gene Shalit came out and basically was just like, this movie is the greatest thing in the world and showed the Ben's death and TIE fighter attack sequence, which pretty much that was that. was that. There was no way my parents were not taking me to that movie as soon as it came <laughs> into town. And just like Scott said, it was like they were in a spaceship, but things were flying in three dimensions. Everybody was dressed casually. They weren't dressed in jumpsuits and or uniforms. They were like, they, I remember thinking these look like space hippies. And, right. Yeah. And, and like, the the spaceship was greasy with pneumatic tubes hanging down and stuff. I can remember you saying space hippies as as kids. I do remember that. Yeah, they're wearing like vests and stuff and tunics and and, and stuff like that. And it, it it just had this organic look to it. See, and my uncle my uncle was a karate instructor, so I recognized that as a gi immediately. That that was that's uh, Uncle Mike's karate outfit. See, I had no background in anything Asian at that point, so all that was just it just looked completely new and amazing to me. I actually had seen hippies before, so mm. but um so that would be my number one impression was would be like the Ben's de- the the TIE Fighter attack sequence. Um, and then seeing that on the big screen. But when we went to the movie, I remember peeking in and seeing it was part of the the final battle, the trench run, and just seeing, you know, shots of the guys and their ships from the side, and the ships are sort of bobbing up and down, and they've got that jet fighter sound to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm used, I was used to Star Trek ships going, and like, and I, I remember my parents going, no, you gotta wait till the this one ends, and we'll go see the next one, and going like, holy shit, did I just see that? Um, but I remember actually writing a paper in Mr. Berghardt's class about my favorite parts of Star Wars. And I remember um, it was the <laughs> TIE fighter attack sequence and the trench run were, were two of them. But then I went on this whole tirade about how, you know, despite all these incredible special effects and all these wonderful characters, the scene that everybody likes best of all is the, is the um, cantina sequence. Yeah. And and because obviously that I guess that must have been my favorite <laughs> at the time. <coughs> and we that never is seen another aliens one of those... like that. And that sequence yeah. was just like I ca- one piece of eye candy after the other. It was just pure craziness. It was like uh, as kids I lo- uh, I loved all kids love like Mad Magazine and and just stu- and making stupid drawings where you draw like a hundred different goofy aliens in in a room and stuff. And this was that brought to life. Yeah. And it just and and the music and you know everything about it was just just amazing. So yeah, there's there's my top three. I wish I still had that report from Mr. Burghardt's class. That would be <laughs> classic. Yes. And embarrassing. All the best classics. Over. Exactly. 
Yeah, I agree with you about the uh, the cantina scene. That uh, I can remember that being another one of those scenes that a lot of people I knew kept going to see the movie over and over and over again to try to just catch and, and you know just to glean as much as you possibly yep. could from you know the background and and all the different because it seemed like that scene was just chock full. It was. of you know all kinds of weirdness and it was yeah but it was just you know trying to to catch those glimpses and see something you know that was part of the fun of it too is every time you'd go see it you'd see something new that you hadn't seen before especially in the in the cantina sequence definitely let's not count out the the ben burt effect on all that too that maybe we we were noticing the visual effect but the ben burt part was just so intrinsically tied into it that we probably weren't realizing how much bullshit was being triggered just by audio cues and hearing the different languages and alien sounds in the cantina on top of like music you know yeah and and well it's it's everything the gravity of of i mean the millennium falcon it looks big on film but part of that is because it sounds gigantic if you'd seen the falcon flying by going yeah it wouldn't have really (laughs) yeah and 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 George Lucas, I hope you're listening to this too, although you really have no effect anymore. But the music in that, it was like earth-based music. It was a very calypso-y sort of, you know, steel steel drum band thing, but it plausibly sounded and hardly any movies get this right, you know, when they have a band in the background. It it didn't sound like somebody put music on the soundtrack in nice Dolby stereo. It was just a band off in the corner playing, incidentally, mm-hmm. and uh, playing something that sounded like it belonged there. It wasn't all wacky, spacey, theremin-driven, weird, you know, space music. Well, as I recall, uh, I think it was John Williams himself who, who composed that. I, I think that he called yeah. it something like Benny Goodman dropped back through a from like a thousand years in the future uh-huh. or something like that, which yeah. I always thought was funny. It, it yeah. is a big band tune. I mean, it, it is. It's a big band tune. Mm-hmm. Um, but the steel drums make it. And, and here's yeah. the thing. In the 1970s, I, I didn't know what a steel drum. I'd right. never heard of a steel drum before. So he, he picked something that was earthbound, but yet still exotic. Yeah. But it wasn't unrealistic. And, and as you say, it wasn't synthesizers or a theremin. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was it was stuff that you could put your hands on. Really, when you think about it, it's steel drums. It's things you bang on and make noises, which is yeah. really kind of everything in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, futuristic and organic, and it really wasn't explored to that level before that. Yep. I think we're ready to go into our uh, main to- tropic. God, I'm Corpic. sorry, but guys, I just got to stop and tell you for a second. I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I had a I had a feeling this would be a blast, and I was right. No, it's a- not only a fun podcast, but it's a good first podcast. It's really getting the. I like how it's. Uh, I I like it. It feels fresh, but it's still like, I, it's got legs. I like it. Yeah. It's got charisma. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, I think we're ready to, to transition into our, our, our next topic, which really was supposed to be the main topic of the show, but we're, I think we're having so much fun that in, any one of these could be a main topic. But uh, as we've been talking about this, uh, you know, our memories of, of you know, lasting memories of the first film, I've been sitting here and I'm flipping through my album of original star, you know, original first movie Star Wars trading cards, which is going to be our topic, uh, main topic for this show. 
And I'll tell you what, man, I haven't pulled these things out and looked at them in I don't know how many years. And this is such a awesome walk down memory lane. I am just totally geeking out over these things. I just put my blue set into a into you know into a loose leaf binder in but the the rest of my sets are sort of missing in action right now. Not that I'm worried about it. They're, they're around here somewhere. I had them separate because I was going to organize them a couple years ago. But now now I've got a couple binders full of, you know, the, the vinyl card holder pages. And, uh, oh, my God. Just talk about, um, well, even even memories of the early two, because two, the first two True Freaks photoshops we ever did were all Star Wars cards. Yeah. We'd alter. You know, that's not a bad idea to go back to that. <laughs> I like that idea. There's certainly well, are plenty know, of them. I give a little bit of a history lesson here for anybody that might not know, because you mentioned the blue set, so I want to give a little bit of context to this. So, to my memory, there were there were really only two sets of Star Wars cards. There were originally the Wonder Bread cards. Now, as I had the the pleasant memory to rediscover, because I had totally forgotten this. Um, when we were doing our recording for the episode of uh, my Star Wars story that, that I'm going to be on, you know, the one that is my Star Wars story, uh, you know, Scott, you put the question to me of, uh, you know, what was your what was your first, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting how you worded it, but basically, like, what was your first inklings of Star Wars or what, you know, what, yeah. how did you first, you first hear, about, hear it? about it? Yeah. And I, and I really racked my brain about that, trying to think, cause I don't remember any trailers. I don't remember anybody talking about it. And, and it wasn't really until deep into the conversation that somehow or other the, the subject of Star Wars cards came up that it, it really struck me that, Oh, that's right. My first impression of Star Wars, the the first I ever learned about it was, as it turns out, as I'm looking here, this is actually number one. The very first um, Wonder Bread card, number one of the series, was a Luke Skywalker card. And I'll just try to, I know this is very visual for you folks, so I'll try to paint a picture for you. This is a black bordered trading card. Star Wars, the classic Star Wars logo is in white and blue running up the, it's actually runs vertically up the right hand side of the card. And the card is titled at the bottom. It just says Luke Skywalker. And then underneath it, it says Mark Hamill. And it's a picture of Luke and he's holding a gaffe stick. So I'm, I'm, I guess this must be from around the scene where, uh, where Luke and Ben and the droids come across the sand crawler. But I, I just, I don't know exactly what point of the movie this is from. It's not a common picture. It, it might be but a publicity picture, it, too. It could be, yeah. And and it just says on the back, it says, Luke Skywalker, a 20-year-old farm boy on the remote planet of Tatooine, is forced to leave his uncle's farm and challenge the Galactic Empire's ultimate weapon, the, the Death Star, which ultimately is a pretty decent summation of a movie when you think about it. And that just made an impression on me. Like, hmm, I all I could think of was Star Trek. Because that, honestly, was that was the big thing before star Wars, mm-hmm. that was, you know, so that was the only reference I really had. And I'm thinking, how does this relate? What does this have to do with, with star Trek and all that? And not really having any frame of reference whatsoever. And, uh, and I, I couldn't, you know, I can't believe I, I had kind of forgotten that until we were talking about that episode. That's, that's one of the reasons I, I think I'm really going to enjoy, uh, that my star Wars story show as it continues is, is hearing other people, hopefully having that same pleasant rediscovery of, of things that they'd kind of forgotten, you know, about, you know, the, the early days of their 
Star Wars fandom and everything. But there was this original series. Um, as we were talking last night in preparation for doing this show, I was doing a little bit of research about the Wonder Bread series. It seems like it was only 16 cards. It really was not very many at all. This is the only series I don't have all the cards to. I'm, I'm missing two cards, and I'm hoping to fill those in pretty soon. Then after that, Tops got the rights to do Star Wars, and Tops milked the living hell out of oh, Star they Wars went to cards. town. Yep, because they had an original set which ran 66 cards plus stickers, um, and that was the blues. That's the classic blue set. So when you hear people talk about the blue set or blue Star Wars cards, that's what they're talking about, the original 66 cards. Really, really good cards. If you think classic Star Wars imagery, like that that shot of R2-D2 on Tatooine by himself, or you know, just about any classic image, you know, the the image of Vader pointing his finger at Princess Leia in the corridor of the Tantive Four as you know they confront her, or there's a picture of Luke and 3PO standing together as 3PO kind of points off in the in the distance, or the classic Tusken Raider shot. These are all iconic yep. Star Wars shots for the most part. And of course, number one's Luke Skywalker with this one too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this was a huge, huge success for Tops. They couldn't keep these things in stock. And it was just massive for them. So they decided to continue the series. And rather than start over with number one, they just spawned a new set, which was the red set. And the red set ran from 67 to, flip ahead, flip ahead, 132. So basically another 66 cards yep. in the set. They were a huge hit. The red ones, I, it's one of my least favorite sets, I have to be honest, because there's something weird in the coloring. The red ones had weird, maybe it was a hurt, the, the processing of them was really hurried because right. they were trying to get them out. And the and the the color the, they ended up being blurry, but they had some weird shots. The yes, red, they the did. red one always stood out in my mind as having some some really unusual or because of the. I remember one of Grand Moff Tarkin that the coloring just made him look really creepy. I think it was when he was in the you know conference room. Let's see if I can find that because I'm flipping through these real quick too pretty sure it was in the red but red yeah there's green. there's some that uh you know some shots that you just did that was one of the the things that became a hallmark of the the series as a whole is that there were some shots you just didn't get anywhere else right with this trading card sets you know shots that you you literally would never see again you, you'd never seen them before and you'd never see them again uh the next set was the yellow set which ran from 133 to this was a, actually a really big set i think this was bigger than all the like other double, ones this one ran like to size. yeah 198 so i'm not sure how many issue how many uh cards that is like 50 uh no, 55 56 cards something like that and uh, really, no, it has to be more than that. I remember the yellow cards being sort of the junk cards when it came to trading car trading time because everybody had a million doubles of yellows. That's and another 66. Yeah, it is. I, I thought it was bigger, but it is just another 66. Is it? Cards. Yeah. yeah. I always thought that was the bigger set. That's I weird. just it remember everybody 66. always having a big wad of yellow cards. I think the one that you're thinking of is actually, I think it's in the yellow set because there's one here, card number 149. It says the evil Grand Moff Tarkin, and it is one creepy That must be the one. That must be of, the one. Uh, it's, it's like a close-up, but he's very like, 
gaunt skeletal face yeah it's a really good shot i liked yellow the yellow is probably my second favorite one next to the blues because again a lot of truly iconic shots the photography is a lot better and for the first time you finally got some special effects shots because that was the other thing about the trading cards that the early sets uh, shared in common with say like the storybook or the publicity uh, shots is that you you rarely saw a special effects shot it was always, you know, like Luke or the droids or, you know, they were doing something, but you didn't see like a shot with like a laser bolt flying out or you right. didn't see a shot from like the Death Star sequence because those were all special right. effects shots. They weren't practical shots that were photographed at the time of filming. But with the yellow set, you actually got shots like the the uh, the Death Star firing the cannon. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's another one here of like the escape pod and, uh, and the X wings headed towards, uh, ter- towards the death star and things like that. I think that this was this, maybe I'm thinking of the red one had the shot of almost like they almost look like generators on the death star that were blowing up during the battle. Remember that they sort of, yes. Uh, let me see if I can find, I know the one you're talking about. I'm not sure what set that was. Yes. Yeah, it was number uh, number eighty six, a mighty explosion, yes. and it shows the where the cannon gets get you know the Death Star cannon gets hit, and the guys like flying back from the explosion. And then there was a card I can't remember what there was one la- or actually the two last sets. There was a green set, which is very strange, and it's funny looking at it now. I realize how they really cheaped out on the green set because toward the end of the run on the green set, there are several pictures in a row where it's the same exact picture, just from different angles. Like, there's one here, 258 and 259 is the exact same picture. It's just one zoomed in closer than the other. (laughs) Really cheap shot. Same exact shot of Luke, but one's close up and one's just a little bit further back. And then uh, 261 and 262, same exact shot of the uh, Tusken Raider holding the gaffy stick over his head, except one's turned on its side to be a close-up, and then the other one's a full-body shot, but it's the exact same Mm -hmm. shot. And then, uh, and then the orange set was the last set. You know, I've even got, uh, I've got three. I'm sure it was a larger set than this, but I've got three of the uh, of the Burger King cards that uh, that Coke had a promotion at back in the day as well. Aha! Uh-huh. I wish I had more of those. I don't too. have any I of have, those. Yeah. I have uh, a number of those. I have Do you lots really? of examples of all the subsequent of like not all the subsequent sets, but a lot of the subsequent sets in the last. In all the intervening years, you know, right? There's there were the motion ones, there were the 3D ones, there were just the widescreen tops ones, there were retro ones that looked like old Star Wars cards, right? And uh, I'm trying to find the card. I can't remember what set it's in, but I know what the picture is. It's a picture of the Death Star guns uh, firing. And it says, I believe it says, if I'm not mistaken, the Empire Strikes Back. But I can't remember what set it's from. I'm I trying just to found find return it of the Jedi cards. I was very pleased flipping through these. I thought that I had a complete set, but I wasn't entirely sure. And I am very pleased to find that I do indeed have a complete set of all the top Star Wars cards, all the colors. And then all of, uh, Empire, I think there Jedi. were like two sets of Empire and two sets of Jedi, and I have all of those too, which I wow. really didn't think I had a complete set of Empire, but I do. I, Empire was uh, hard to yes, find. Yes, it was. 
because Empire, I, I'm I'm ashamed to admit it, but a lot of my Empire cards I acquired through Five Finger Discount, and it was just a what? nightmare trying to collect them all. But I finally did get them all, apparently, because I have them? on that. Oh yeah, trading cards were easy to <laughs> easy to swipe, man. When we it were depends on where you were. We're not at uh, Champagne's bookstore. He kept them in the. He kept, He was smart. He kept. Oh, he was smart. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Here it is. It's uh, part of the green set card number two thirty-two. The Empire Strikes Back, and this card is dated. Uh, well, it's dated nineteen seventy-seven. So there you go. <laughs> Title of the next movie. Uh, way before they even settled on the name of the next movie. That's a great shot too. The coloring in it is really cool. It all. It almost looks like it's made with action figures. It's so crisp and clean. It's really cool looking. I remember one called A Closer Look at a Jawa, which I think is a yellow yes! card. Yeah, I was and just looking at that sort one. Sort of see, it was like you could actually, instead of just seeing the lit up eyes, you could see some lumpy stuff in there. Yeah. Well, you know, one that I, I should have talked about more because I don't want to give it short shrift was uh, the very last set. This was also a very difficult set to com- to get a complete set of because I don't remember these cards being around long. But uh, the orange set, the last set, was really good because this was the first set where uh, a, the bulk of the set was made up with behind-the-scenes pictures. Yes. So you had pictures of... I assume this is Stuart Freeborn working on uh, on Chewbacca of them putting uh, all the uh, prosthetics on uh, Anthony Daniels for C-3PO. You've got a great shot that looks like uh, George Lucas is putting the gun in Greedo's hand while Greedo's smoking a cigarette or drinking through a straw or something. Great shot of all the hippies hanging out at ILM with all the models all over the table in front of them. They got X-Wings and Y-Wings and a TIE fighter and everything. Just these really scrubby looking dudes, yep. you know, one of bell bottoms on. Yeah, bell bottoms and his nut hugger shorts and all you know, they're all scraggly and bearded and yeah, like, oh it's just great. Like the beginning of Apple computers or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a shot of uh, the Cantina creatures all sitting around the table looking at George Lucas as he's like just standing there talking to him. It's it's a yeah. very bizarre picture. And then they're celebrating uh Alec Guinness's birthday and Moss Eisley. Everybody's got Dixie cups. Some great pictures. Love this stuff. Really, really good stuff. Uh, this was a good you. set of cards. Yep. I will tell you, I'm looking through my book here, and uh, part of part of my Star Wars story, again, is um, my dad built me a treehouse for my seventh birthday. Not mm-hmm. just a, not a rinky-dink treehouse, but a, a treehouse that I spent a lot of time in. A big, big, big treehouse. And um, I kept... A lot of my comic books and magazines and cards out in that treehouse. Well, it was prone to a leak here and there. So at one point, I had to trash most of my comics, cracked magazines, mad magazines, and cards when when they just turned into a big ball of mush. Uh, and I told my kept telling my parents, no, 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 I can straighten these out. These will dry. These will dry. No, you got to throw them away. So I have in my collection, and I haven't really pursued them because they're not. I don't know what I would do with them if I got them if I got them, but I have, I have exactly 15 star Wars cards remaining from the first, uh, film. Oh. 15. I have, uh, may have to start up a charity or something. <laughs> well, you know, my, my impression, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, so take it for what it's worth. But my impression is that 
these are not the retirement item that so many of us thought no. that they were going to be a few years ago. I, I was actually crushed to, to hear not long ago that they're actually not all that valuable. Which they made a kind of awful lot me. of them. They they did. They, yeah, that was the thing. Is they made a zillion of them. And they yeah. were not a toy. They were made to. It's just like baseball cards. They were made to be kept and taken mm-hmm. care of, unless you put them in a treehouse where yeah <laughs> and a lot of us did too a lot of us you know yeah. we, we did we collected them and we threw them in a shoebox or whatever and i mean mine were literally in a shoebox until about oh i'd say it was probably 10 or 15 years ago that i uh well it was around the time that that card collecting actually became a thing there for a time and they were they started selling like the the whatever you call these stupid nine sheet things that they sell like in walmart yeah. stuff but it was when they, they it became where you could go into walmart and you could buy these cheap vinyl folders and yep. buy the you know the pages to put and, and i did i bought a ton of them and i put all of my non-sports card because that's all i ever collected was non-sports cards you know movie cards and i put them all in binders and they've been sitting here on the shelf for you know all these years but when i when i garage sale i look for people who have huge baseball card collections because i know they'll have those empty binders with pages in them and yep. they usually sell them really cheap now or well, i'll plus, sometimes if you ever if you ever buy a collection of sports cards, you're almost always assured to get at least a couple of, uh, of random, usually star Wars cards, yeah. but you know, some form of non sport just kind of winds up in there by default. Well, I've been picking up a lot of the star Wars card game cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're always in books and then I take them out of the books and I put my, the actual movie cards <laughs> in the books. Cause that, I mean, these star Wars cards, they got me into collecting every, I have, I remember actively buying um, Close Encounters cards, almost yeah. anything of any any movie that I liked at the time. Yeah, well, well we, much. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scott. I was just gonna say we would go to the the Five and Dime, you know, Crest or Woolworth or whatever we had, and they would have a lot of those everything but Star Wars kind of mixed into a big pack of you know twenty or thirty. Mixed cards for us, and so I'd buy. A I pack remember that. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. would have Superman and Close Encounters, and you know, a bunch of that stuff would all be, all be in there. Mork and Mindy, and you know. Yeah, God, I remember. I, I totally forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. yeah, we we had local stores that would do that too. They would take all the ones that you know were like remainders and put them into like they a grab sell. bag pack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I've got I've got lots oh. of Mork and Mindy cards. I've got lots of non sports card yeah i've got i've got binders full of them well you know much the same way that 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 marvel star wars was kind of my gateway drug into comic books you know tops trading card you know star wars trading cards were kind of my gateway drug into non-sports cards because from this it led directly like you said into uh, the next one i remember after star wars was close encounters because that also started with a wonder bread series yeah and before yeah and before star wars cards came out i mean there were movie cards before that you know there were oh yeah cards and there were star but trek not cards that i was and, ever aware of but yeah and stuff yeah like, i had the a full set of the last tango in paris cards <laughs> very tough to get <laughs> and uh, the the give me the the bring me the butter card is the the most rare treasured <laughs> card in that one yeah but um but Topps was the master on these things, though, because uh, I know that uh, they had at least, I think it was two sets, maybe more, but two that I can remember 
of Superman the movie, and those were great cards. Mm-hmm. And well, then I, I don't know if they were the ones that did Star Trek the motion picture, but that was a really good set of cards, too. See, I remember, I remember before Star Wars, it was all, like, novelty sticker cards. It was, you know, yeah, wacky yeah. packages. Wacky packages, yeah. And, yeah. And, and sassy stuff to put on your school books that said that you were a brat, you know, type of stuff. And then when the Star Wars came, cards came out, that knocked it all because I remember I had a friend down the road who collected football cards, and I remember being interested in the card aspect of it, but the football part of it was just totally foreign to me. So when Star Star Wars cards came along, it was just a natural. There's something about the format of collector's cards that it, it's pure. It's it's like the crack cocaine of collecting. That's what they're <laughs> made for. They're made to collect and trade, and so that yep. and you know get them all. Love this stuff. Well, plus two, they often had, uh, you know, something. Well, they all had something on the back, obviously, but often it was like movie facts or puzzle, uh, little trivia. Yes, a lot of them had puzzles too, and sometimes the puzzles would make like really great, uh, you know, like poster images or something. The blue set was the original Hildebrandt, right? Poster. Yeah, I'm looking at the backs of the blue ones right now, and you've got. You know, every one of them is a little bit different, but you've got movie facts. You've got the story was summarized over 11 different cards. Mm-hmm. You've got a couple of different posters. One's the Hildebrandt. One's the classic shot looking into the cockpit of the Falcon oh, with Han right. and Luke and Ben and Chewie. That's right. Um, let's see what else is there here. A lot of movie fact ones, which are really cool. I think that was pretty much it. I think it was just that. Movie facts, summary, and then those two different poster images. But then, of course, every every different set was uh something different you had you know descriptions of the characters and bios and really cool stuff i I love this stuff because that was where the canon you know the i don't know if you'd say eu necessarily but the canon definitely started to be built because this is where where you gained your knowledge of things like chewy being you know alternately either 100 or 200 years old the the cards would argue with each other the one set i'm looking at here says 100 and then i'm pretty sure it was the empire set that said he was 200 Mm. but you know facts that you didn't necessarily get from the movie itself including like last names or anything you would get that from these trading cards i think that's cool before the show we were discussing that the wonder bread governor tarkin card was saying that he had he had plans to someday be the emperor yeah Listen here, Ben Kenobi. That. Yeah, Ben Kenobi, once a respected name in the galaxy, is now an outlaw in the Tatooine mountains. What? That's about <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. though. I, well, yeah, I guess it's just a funny way of putting it. I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, essentially, what he is telling all about how Harrison Ford was in American Graffiti before he was in Star Wars. You know, things like you know, things that that you know that owes back into what we were talking about ages ago about like. You know, what nine-year-old these days would know the sound designer on any movie that's out there? But that's how we knew this stuff. That's how we knew Ben Burt by name. Yeah. was by things like this, reading all this information, the the behind-the-scenes doings of this movie, because... Every As they piece put out of, more was, and more cards, they had more and more card backs to well, fill was, with information. It was you know? the opposite of today. Today, with any movie or anything, it's it's information overload. Then it was just information deficit. You had to go find it, buy it, <laughs> right? Read it also, if you wanted to find out. But it's kind of it, Star Wars. Though was kind of like a magic trick. 
when you see it, you want to know how it's done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, so therefore to us, John Dykstra was a legend. Yeah. This it, John Dykstra guy has moved the earth. That's funny. It, as you're saying that, and I'm flipping pages, my thumb was on a movie facts page all about John Dykstra. How yeah. how it, coincidental is that? It, it did he that was the guy. Not only yeah. for special effects for me, but it did that for movies. It, mm-hmm. it, it was like, how did they do that in the movie? And then I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this medium has the you know this much storytelling power you know yeah mm-hmm. and uh and that that was it that set the gears of my life in <laughs> in action absolutely now let me ask you this we, we can't have a conversation about star wars cards without talking about number 207 207 oh the, yeah the what one, the, the hell one is going on there the one card Anthony Daniels will not sign. Oh, what is going wise. on with that? He should be proud. <laughs> but for whatever reason, he's not. What is happening in that picture? Well, you. I think I, you know I, what's I, happening in that picture. Figure out what's happening in that picture. That was, that, that, that was from the same story where C-3PO cried. <laughs> <laughs> Part of this, the, the cut scene from that. <laughs> I can't believe I never noticed that before. Maybe I just wanted to block it out of my mind or something. I don't know if that was something someone added or a mistake. It really hasn't turned up in any other picture like that. No, <laughs> we're putting that card. The card. Yeah. I mean, you, Scott, are you looking at your card? Yes, I am, and I wish I wasn't. Yeah, that's <laughs> not right. I don't. I don't have that one in front of me, but I'm well familiar with it. When you yeah. get it by number, I didn't know, but as soon as it was like, what's going on there? It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, see, the, I like the, the proceeding when 206 is a, is a shot that you would not get anywhere else. It's it's Luke standing next to Evaporator with Treadwell. Yeah, I love that. 207 is a shot you wouldn't get anywhere else. <laughs> well, this is true, too. Outside of a cheap hotel room after you've given <laughs> Anthony Daniels like $500,000. <laughs> Well, now well, we know that now we know that that oil bath did feel so so good. good. So good. <laughs> Do we know what we want to talk about next time around? Hmm. Let me uh, let me pull up the list of potential subject topics we discussed. Because I thought of one that needs to go on the list. It doesn't necessarily have to be next episode, but I thought of another collectible uh, collectible that I have that's very similar to the Star Wars cards. Do you guys remember? Um, I- I'm not sure if they ever did any for Star Wars, but I know they did it for Empire and Jedi, the Dixie Cups. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. Dixie Cups. I've yes. got some of the Jedi Dixie Cups somewhere around here. I we still have... To- all my empire and i have a whole bunch of jedi ones left too i don't think i have complete sets but i'm wondering where in the hell you would ever go to find out what was the complete set made up of anyway so you could use it like some sort of a checklist i I imagine that's gotta be somewhere (laughs) Somewhere, yeah well all i know is we'd go over to jeff's we'd go over to jeff from dinner for geeks we'd go over to his house and play and his mom had one of the dispensers Mm -hmm. so we would just we would get magically get thirsty every 15 minutes or so. Right. So we could sit and get the new cup and stare at it. And we'd do that until we got a duplicate. And then we're, all right, we're done. We're not thirsty anymore. My mom just gave up and she would just buy the box and then she'd just hand me the box. Like, here you go. Let me, <laughs> let me have the doubles. <laughs> oh, I love those things. 
You said you had an idea for next time? Oh, uh, well, I'm looking at our list, and I don't want to give it all away, but you want me to just pick one? Sure. How about how about book and record? That's doable. Oh, that's some that's got some good stuff in it. <laughs> all right, it's a date. All right, book and record next time on an all new growing up Star Wars. <laughs> next time on a very special growing up Star Wars. They're all very special. <laughs> I'm not going to get touched by Anthony Daniels, am I? <laughs> You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Impressive. Most impressive.